Colorado podcast for early March. I'm Alex Miller, and we have a special guest host today, Betty Hart. Hey. <laughs> hey, Betty. In addition to being an amazing actor and director, Betty's also the president of the Colorado Theater Guild and co-artistic director of Local Theater Company and lots more. So, hey, Betty, how's it going? Alex, hello. It's going well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, this is an audio podcast, so you can't see the canary yellow hoodie that, that Betty is wearing, but it's it's I, I almost have to put sunglasses on. Uh, but I'll get I'll get past it. So so um so in this episode, we're gonna take a look at what's on stage right now and coming up around Colorado and the theaters, and also talk about some of the shows we've seen recently. Uh, and then later in the episode, our roving correspondent, Tony Tresca, had a great conversation with uh, Makai East. Eastman, who's a director, performer, playwright, and, and also, uh, I guess, vice president on the Vintage Theater board, board of Directors. And he just had a reading there of his play Love Joy, which actually I think is, is going on tonight. Um, so uh, and also he was he was in Sophisticated Ladies, the, the Duke Ellington show that's, uh, that was up at, uh, at Vintage. So we'll get to that interview in just a little bit. Uh, but first, what's on stage in Colorado? So, um, Betty, uh, we were just talking about the fact that we were at the Colorado New, New Play Summit at the Denver Center this past weekend and, and somehow missed each other. Um, but we were, they have two different tracks. There's like orange and blue and I was on orange, you were blue. So, um, but, uh, so, you know, while they, they asked that we don't review these works in progress, but I, I think it's okay to give some sort of general impressions of, of what we saw. So, uh, uh, real quick, what, uh, you, you were saying, um, the reservoir, you did not, you, you were happy. You didn't see it first. Why were you saying that? Uh, because the piece is devastatingly beautiful and it shattered my heart in pieces. And I didn't need that to be my beginning. I, I liked it right where it was. I had it near the end of my journey, rather at the beginning of my journey, but what a powerful play. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So the reservoir by Jake Brash, uh, was about a, um, young man who's uh, got a real problem with alcohol and he's, and he's, he's, back home and he's he just keeps relapsing and he has this really interesting relationship with his four grandparents uh and he's he's in denver right yeah he was going to school in new york he but he was, was yeah. in denver he's in new york now but he is one of denver's own okay so the, the not just the character but the playwright yes i am definitely talking about the playwright the playwright <laughs> um definitely did a lot of amazing things in fact uh, apparently his first professional show was in christmas carol at the denver center i had quite a few friends who've known him most of his life and uh we're very excited to be there to support him. Yeah, that's great. Well, hopefully that one comes back as a full production uh, somewhere. And uh, uh, the, the last show that I saw was uh, Joan Dark, which is kind of a, a, a Joan of Arc, I guess in French, it's dark uh, by Christina. And I can't pronounce it. Pomariaja. Uh, and uh, and that was uh, wrapped up the the, uh, the festival for me yesterday, and uh, that was a, a really interesting piece about a young woman who wants to be the first Catholic priest, not not a female. Deacon. Yeah, female. I mean, sorry, yeah, female. <laughs> uh, so she's got kind of a, a steep hill to climb. And what I heard was that your show was different from mine because my show was two hours with an intermission, and I heard that you all had an hour and forty minutes, no intermission. So. Some things changed between my show and your show, but I have no idea what. I did hear uh, someone told me that, that Christina had been reworking some pages between the two readings. So that's really interesting. And that's something that's cool about the New Play Summit is that, you know, 
they do have the opportunity to uh, to hear feedback from one audience uh, in advance of the second one. So uh, yeah. the other show was uh, called Polar Bears, Black Boys and Prairie Fringed Orchids by Vincent Terrell. Uh, and that one had a, a super heavy uh, you know, race race aspect to it. It was about uh, sort of gentrified Harlem. And and um, and that was that was a real interesting one as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed that piece. Um I definitely have challenges with the end, but we won't talk about that now. Um, but it was, I mean, I need to say this, all four of the readings were beautifully performed, gorgeously written, and there was strong direction throughout. I, I would definitely echo that. I was, you know, when I was talking to, I was talking to Grady Soaps, who, who runs that um, last week in the podcast. And I was saying, I was telling him, I was like, every time I, 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 you know, it's not just like, you know, actor walking by, Hey, you want to do this reading? It's like, no, they are seriously cast. Uh, and, you know, and they bring people in and, and uh, yeah, it was just uh, the first one you were talking about uh, with the, the grandparents. I mean, the, the four grandparents were just amazing. Amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, that one was a real, and that one had a uh, uh, Noelia Ant- Antweiler uh, was really yes. was like kind of one of my, my favorite new sort of new on the scene actors uh, in town. You have excellent taste. She's <laughs> know, wonderful. She's, she's great. Uh, and and then the last one was called uh, the suffragettes. The suffragettes' wife or murder. Yeah, murder. Suffragettes' wife's murder. I don't know. I just had the suffragettes' murder by Sandy Rustin. Just suffragettes' yeah. murder. There we are. And so that yes. one was set in the what, like the eighteen seventies, I think, uh, in yeah. New York City. And and uh, it's like it's kind of like got a real some serious uh, aspects to it, but also like a real kind of just a wacky whodunit. Uh, kind of thing in places. And Tony Cheska and I were just like, whoa, that thing, this thing is going to be a big hit in, in community theaters. It just seemed like the kind of show that, you know, would be really fun to do well, anywhere. But, uh, but yeah, that's when I hope, I hope to see again, or that, that might've been my favorite. Uh, really? I just love comedies. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, the DCPA puts its money where its mouth is because, you know, net, right now, one of the shows from the 2020 summit, Hotter Than Egypt, is playing in a full production. Uh, and they just announced that two of the plays from the 2022 summit will be part of the 2023 uh, lineup. And those are Sebolas. 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 I'm sorry, I'm murdering some some uh, some word there. So that's a I remember that reading. It's about these uh, these uh, Chicanas who are on a road trip through Colorado and there's like a blizzard and all this stuff happens. And I don't remember a lot more of it. Uh, and then the other one has got this World War II spy Betty pack uh, called Rubicon. And I don't remember that one. I must have seen it. But do you remember that one? I do remember it. It had um, I don't remember how many actors, but they were playing multiple roles. And it was very, very interesting. Um, it was a beautiful piece. So I'm excited about both of these choices. All right. So, so yeah, that was, uh, that was, a, it's a really great way to sp- spend the weekend and they really, they kind of packed it in. There was like sold out, you know, it's not often you see packed houses for readings, but, uh, yeah, they were, they were packed in there. So there's a lot of excitement about new work and Denver is really, um, embracing new work, especially in the last 10 years. So, and the Denver center's certainly been a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're at local theater and locals got the local lab doing, doing stuff. There's lots, it's quite a few uh, other things going on where uh, it's, and it's great to say, because you know, there's, 
there's uh, there's the, the stalwarts, the classics that people like to do, but you gotta you gotta add some new stuff to the mix uh, now and again, right? How can you get the next classic if you don't have new work? That's right. So okay, well let's do a, a rundown of the shows that uh, I'm just gonna hit on some of the ones that we've reviewed on uh, our website recently. So um, I, I uh, saw the Bell of Amherst, which is uh, kind of the debut production of Clover and Bee Productions, and uh, and it was at the Buntport, and that's a of course it's a it's an older play. It's I think it's from 1976. It's a about uh, Emily Dickinson, and it was a really beautiful play, and Jessica Robley uh, just killed it uh, in that part. Um, have you ever have you ever seen that one? I haven't, mm-hmm. but I love Jess, and I'm really excited about with the partnership between her and Mark Reagan. So yeah. I'm excited to see it, but I haven't had a chance to yet. Yeah, so she's uh, Mark Reagan co-founded a, a, a company with with Jess, and and uh, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what they do. Uh, Candlelight uh, as is doing Brigadoon, and so uh, our, our reviewer um, Carrie really liked that one. That's a you know always a crowd pleaser. Um, another cl- crowd pleaser is I Love You, You're Perfect Now, Change, which is at Littleton Town Hall, and our Reviewer Eric uh, reviewed that one, uh, and then at the Aurora Fox, Billy McBride in the A Year of Magical Thinking with his, which is the one woman show about Joan Didion, uh, which uh, I, I didn't see, but um, you missed uh, it. You should I, have. It was really powerful. Just a beautiful, beautiful piece, gorgeously directed, lovely design. Uh, it's a very challenging play to watch because yeah. you're really going into. Uh, genuine heartfelt spaces of grief, which as Americans, we don't do well, but it was a beautiful piece. Right. Yeah. And Billy's Billy's amazing. Yes, uh, she Billy is. And it was yeah. great to see her acting again. I haven't seen her <laughs> acting in a while. So that was, it was a great honor. And then uh, I went up to, to Carbondale to see You Can't Take It With You at Thunder River Theater Company, which is, uh, it was kind of a special play for me because my friend Bob Moore, uh, an old acting buddy of mine and, you know, who, who lost his wife, Wendy, last last fall. And uh, she was going to direct this show and instead uh, Missy, her daughter, who's the, the artistic director at Thunder River, did it and like just fantastic. And I, I got to tell you, the fact that she was able to cast that show so well up there, uh, it was amazing. And it, it's kind of a road trip, but uh, it, it was it was well worth it. It was a lot of fun. And then another one, I think, uh, I think you may have gone to it. Feed a prey catamounts. I did. I got to see it opening weekend on a Sunday. Yeah. What a great time. Yeah. Can you, can you describe what that series is? I can. Um, there are, uh, four or five course meal. And with each course, you get to see uh, a new play. And what I love about this particular feed is that they're all local playwrights. And um, each play is completely different. Some are heart wrenching. Some are laugh out loud, like spit take funny. And um, and they all pair beautifully with the course that you have. And you have a, a food course and you also have an alcoholic or non-alcoholic pairing that really... Um, uh, compliments both the food and the theatrical offering. It's done in the Carson at the dairy and that entire space is gorgeously redesigned. It really was. You walk yeah. in. It's really beautiful. The food is wonderful. The performers, of course, are fantastic. And kudos to the playwrights. I was so moved by their work. Yeah, yeah. And the, I would say that the plays are kind of in the 10 minute range. So they're, they're pretty, pretty short, uh, but they really, uh, it, it fits. They, they've, you know, they've done, I think they, this is the 27th time they've done this. So they've got it down. Uh, and, and it's really neat because, uh, like you said, the space is beautiful. And it's like, I think maybe six. You know, like half a dozen like large tables so you sit there with with uh, other folks and, and get to meet some new people and, and enjoy it so that's a that's a great one if you didn't you're not gonna i, I think it's mostly sold out but uh, keep that in mind for next year 
Absolutely. Amanda Berg Wilson and the Catamounts are doing a great job. And of course, you know what I didn't tell you? There's live music being performed. And Nika, who is the associate producer, is the, the lead singer. And she's doing great work. And then Maggie gets to join her with some background vocals. But it's just a really beautiful night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was, and it was some really cool music. Uh, she was accompanied by a guitarist and uh, singing some songs in Portuguese and, and English. It was really neat. All the way down south, are, uh, we, we have a reviewer. Uh, she, she actually lives in northern New Mexico. Her name's Deborah Mayo, and she she gets to some shows for us down there. So she saw Songs for a New World, which was at the Fort Lewis College, has a, a pretty good theater program there. Uh, and she really liked that. Um, and uh, anything anything else that, uh, that we didn't see there that, that uh, you saw? Better yeah, I mean, I've seen Hotter Than Egypt. I saw Laughs in Spanish. Uh, I literally have been seeing like four shows a week. So I've been going <laughs> to see a lot lately to catch up. And uh, both of those are just really, really um strong performances uh just the acting talent alone my goodness yeah and um and completely different like if you want a comedy go see laughs in spanish if you want a drama with some really nice comic notes then go see hotter than egypt yeah yeah those are they're both great shows and i unfortunately I haven't i don't know if i'm going to get to hotter than egypt but i saw the reading uh in 2020 and i got to talk to the playwright and it's it's a pretty funny show uh in a really unusual setting you know egypt which we don't often see so um Coming up, uh, things that we're going to be hitting, uh, I think Tony was going to get to Antigone, which is uh, the CU Theater Department was doing. Uh, Seven Words for Love is a, is a production company called Lunacies uh, up in Fort Collins. So we'll have a review of that. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Our Town uh, at the Arvada Center. And, uh, and there's another great show at Doll's House Part 2. So Open Stage is doing that uh, up in Fort Collins. Uh, and we, a lot of us saw that at the Denver Center a couple of years ago with um, well, uh, Kate McLuggage, who was who uh, was <laughs> was the lead in, in that and uh, was was also one of the readers yesterday in a very funny part. Uh, in, uh, in one of the shows that we saw. Uh, Lifespan of the Fact, again, all the way down in Durango. Uh, there's merely players, the Durango Theater Company down there, and Deborah will be at that. Uh, and this is one that you know about, Betty, Undone the Lady M Project, local theater company. Tell me about that one. Uh, it's a wonderful piece co-written by three fantastic women, Mayor Trevathan, Ann Penner, and Hadley uh, Kaminga Peck. And uh, it is a reimagining of if Lady M were alive today and was put on trial for the crimes of her and her husband. And um, it's it's pretty powerful. We get to see three fantastic witches. Um, <laughs> we might even get to see his husband, her husband show up. Who knows? Um, but it's a very exciting story packed with brilliant actors and Mayor Trevathan, one of the writers is directing it and Penner, one of the writers is starring as Lady M and Hadley, one of the writers is the dramaturg and the assistant director. So it's quite a collaborative affair and very exciting. If you love Shakespeare, you'll really enjoy this play. And if you know nothing about Shakespeare, there are so many entry points because it's modern and fresh and really speaks to today. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and of course, the Lady M in question is Lady Macbeth. So uh, that's the, the sort of the, the take the take that I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. I will be at that one. Uh, also, Curious Theater is doing American with a K. And I don't know what that one's about. Um, do you know anything about American? I just know it's it's a must see. I don't yeah. like to know too much. I kind of like to go in cold. That's my style. I just want to see a really great story told and unfold and in front of me. And when I was a kid, I didn't need to know what the story was about. And I, I still have that kid inside me now. I'm, you know, I'm kind of with you. I can't always do that just because of the, the work that I do. <laughs> sure. uh, but I love going in cold to something and just like, just 
entertain me, you know, uh, and, and we'll see what it is. Uh, and then here's another really interesting show is a, a show called Tony Stone at the Aurora Fox. Uh, and Tony Stone was apparently the first uh, uh, woman to play baseball in the Negro Leagues, uh, which uh, sounds really interesting. I, I think she was the first uh, woman ever to play in any. Ever. Yes. That is correct. <laughs> so uh, powerful woman uh, story there, sounds like. And that's a Colorado premiere. Uh, it is. And there's only one female actor in the entire show. That's Kenya. And she is on a team filled with males and super excited for her, for them and for the powerful Kenny Moten, who's directing it at the Fox. Oh, wonderful. Boy, that is just you just have to have nerves of steel or <laughs> other body parts of steel to do that. That kind of thing. So it must be an amazing, amazing story. Um, another show I'm going to go uh, check out is the Wheat Ridge Theater Company, which I think just got their own space. Uh, they're doing a show called The Irish Curse, which I believe is kind of kind of uh, male issues, which uh, we don't see as much. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, our We have a, uh, one of our reviewers up in Summit County, Karen Mason, is going to see The Understudy at the Backstage Theater in Breckenridge. Um, and then Eric, Eric Fisher will go see Tiny Beautiful Things. Uh, Firehouse Theater is doing that. And of course, they perform at the John Hand Theater. Uh, and that's uh, that, so the role of Sugar is going to be uh, it's dual cast with Kelly Uhlenhop and Lisa Cry in alternating performances. And I don't know Lisa, um, but I know Kelly very well. Agreed. And um, and it's filled with three wonderful um, ensemble actors, including Adrian Martin Fullwood. So um, lots of great reasons to get to Firehouse. Yeah. And they've, they've been doing some nice stuff uh, lately. Uh, they've had Great. a lot. Of, no. And then I'm going to catch uh, Xanadu at Metro State University oh, wow. this weekend. So I'll be seeing that musical and then I'll be catching Wonderbound's latest. And I think you all have somebody who's going to go see that soon, right? I think so. I have it on my list. Um, I have to see who is, who's going to that. I've got like this big <laughs> spreadsheet of who's going to what. So it's trying to keep track of everything. So, And then I'm, I'm one of the last people to see it. But on Thursday, I'm going to finally get to uh, the Great American Trailer Park, oh, yeah. which I know that you all have already enjoyed. I have loved that show for so long and I first saw it in Atlanta. So it was quite a thrill when I was doing something with David Nels and discovered that the person right in front of me wrote that musical. Uh -huh. So I'm really excited to get to see it here in Colorado. Yeah, yeah it's good. I saw a production of it a few years ago. Uh, here it was, I can't remember who did it. It was at the bug. Um, but I was talking to Len, Len from Miner's Alley the other night and he said they're just packing them in and, and it's, it's a fun show and it's, it's really got great music in it. You know, uh, David did really a great does. job. Uh, there he's brilliant yes, he is <laughs> and another another colorado proud colorado so a uh, quick rundown of stuff that's coming up uh, another crowd pleaser steel magnolias funky little theater company in colorado springs is going on the road with it like they're kind of doing uh, performances in ivy wild palmer lake and woodland park uh for the kids bluey's big play will be at the buell theater as a touring broadway show uh, murder in, at an irish wake just in time for saint patrick's day at the adams mystery playhouse uh the glenwood vaudeville vaudeville review has their vaudeville spring show up and running if you haven't been to that one uh if you're up uh um in glenwood it, it's really it's a lot of fun it's it's kind of throwback uh, kind of entertainment which is really really cool thing to see uh lauren gunderson's silent sky is going to be at the crested butte mountain theater telluride theater is doing men on boats which is always uh gets done a lot i I still haven't seen it, but one of these days I will. You've got to see it. I know. I know. I just can't get to everything. And then, uh, 
In the Heights, which is, uh, uh, you know, uh, before Hamilton was uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, big show and that the, the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center is doing that one. And they uh, usually do really, really nice productions. Do you know anything about that? You'd- I don't know who's directing it, but I have some friends who are in it. So um, I'm hoping for the best. All right. Uh, speaking of the odd couple, theater company Lafayette is doing that one. Uh, there's another show uh, you were just mentioning. Wonderbound Studios is doing this show is called Reckoning at the Red Herring Tavern. And uh, what do you know about that one? Um, I know Wonderbound is extraordinary. Their dance is amazing that this one was uh, directed and choreographed by Grant, their artistic director. And uh, I'm very, very excited to see this piece come to life. Uh, Shark Box Theater, which is, I think, a, a kind of a, a newer production company is doing Don't Dress for Dinner. Uh, and they're performing at the American Mountaineering Center in Golden. And I've seen there's been a few shows there and I'm like, I don't know why the Mountaineering Center. Do they have a, an, uh, an auditorium? I don't know. Uh, so if anybody knows, let me know. <laughs> um, Arvada Center on their uh, part of their rep season, they're doing the book club play in their smaller theater. And then uh Colorado Ballet is doing Cinderella at the Ellie Calkins. Uh, and then there's a show at Su Teatro that looks really cool. I think it's kind of a family show called El Espiritu Natural or uh, <laughs> El Espiritu Natural is how it's, how it's pronounced. Espiritu. I know. I'm terrible. I, I'm better at French. Um, <laughs> uh, if you're up in Fort Collins, Bob Blue is doing a reading of a play called Good Water. Uh, Two Cent Lion, uh, which is a, a neat little theater company started by uh, a, um, some DU theater students. And they're doing a show uh, called Off the Gradient. Uh, at the DU Black Box Theater. Uh, and then way out west at the Colorado Mesa uh, University, uh, they're doing a show. And, you know, I, I mentioned it because, uh, you know, we don't we don't often talk about uh, college shows just because it's kind of hard to keep up with all of them. But, you know, there's not a lot of theater on the, on, on, uh, in the Grand Junction area. So uh, so if you get a chance, they're doing uh, the show called Floyd Collins uh, about a, a Kentucky I guess it was a, a guy who was stuck in a cave for a long time <laughs> in Kentucky in 1925. So, um, and then uh, finally, Stories on Stage is doing uh, a show called The White Chip, and uh, with a great cast: Jeffrey Kent, Martha Harmon, Party, and Eric Sandoval. So, uh, Stories on Stage always does a great job of those readings. If you don't know about The White Chip. The White Chip is a new play by uh, Sean Daniels, and it's a it's a play about sobriety. And right now, it's been playing in Atlanta as a co-production at Dad's Garage theatrical outfit so very exciting that anthony powell chose that to be read here in colorado betty you're like the best guest host in the world you like know everything uh (laughs) uh, between the two of us uh, and we know we know we can fill in the gaps so um you know i wanted to ask you as from your position as president of the colorado theater guild so john moore did a story just the other day about kind of like how how theater has been recovering after the pandemic and how it's kind of at best maybe 80 percent of what it was uh what do you hearing from the theater companies as that part of the guild as, as uh, how things are going? I think that the, the article was very accurate um, and it's such a wild mix. There are shows, there are, pro- there are productions that are selling out. Um, there are shows that are selling out, but all the people don't show up for the seats, which is such a curious uh-huh. thing, right? To be sold out weird. and then have <laughs> empty seats. Um, and then, of course, there are also extraordinary productions that are at half or 60 or 75% capacity. So um, it's a it's definitely a challenging time. It's, it's getting better, certainly, you know, than last year, the 
year before that, but are we near the record breaking 2019 highs? No, not yet. Yeah, I guess you know, it really makes it a tough, a tough bar to get back to because 2019 was such a, a big year. Uh, you know, and, and in John's article, he talked a little bit about, uh, you know, it, everybody went out and bought a like 100 inch TV <laughs> during the pandemic and a big couch. Uh, and it's hard to dislodge them f- from their homes. And, I, I, you know, I'm sure there's some of that. You know, there's there's people that just, you know, they're just not going to they're not theater people to start with, but they're. Uh, you know, another conversation I had in a podcast uh, a couple of, a couple of weeks ago was with, um, Chris Solomon up at, up at uh, Lake Dillon Theater Company, which is now Theater Silco. And, and you know, we, we had an interesting talk, talk about, you know, hitting that balance and all theaters deal with this. It's like, you know, the stuff that, you know, they think is going to put, put uh, you know, people in the seats isn't what it used to be. Uh, you know, and he was saying that, you know, they're really looking more at, at uh, um, you know, Gen X than than the boomers that they sort of used to cater to, to, you know, to fill seats. And so things are changing in, in a lot of different ways. And uh, and also, you know, uh, depending on where you are, if you're in a resort area or, in, you know, a smaller town or city, it's it's, it's all over the place. But uh, Colorado Theater Guild's there, out there helping everybody uh, figure stuff out. Right. We are. And I think one of the things that all theaters are having to look at is how do you reach your audience? If you think about the hundreds of thousands of people who continue, like back in 2019, we were having 100,000 people moving to Denver every month. Um, We're still having high volume of people coming to our state. How do you reach those people? How do you let them know about the rich, robust theater that's taking place? Um, A lot of people still to this day think that the only entity is the Denver Center. And though that is a wonderful and important uh, entity, it's certainly not the only. There's so much rich theater based on like just that list that you gave, there's so much more happening. And so oh, yeah. the key is to help the the citizens of Colorado discover that, which is one of the reasons why we're so grateful to you, Alex, and the work that you do. Well, thanks. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sometimes a little frustrating when, you know, one of the things that theaters really need to do is, is focus a little more on marketing. Uh, and it doesn't mean necessarily buying expensive advertising, uh, out there. There's lots of places where you can get your, your show, uh, posted for free. And, you know, in the case of, uh, you know, our, our site, you know, we'll, we'll try and get out and review it and, and, uh, and all that. And so there's a lot of different ways to, to, to do, you know, but getting the word out is, is kind of job, job two after you have a great show ready to go. Right. And here's a fun fact that you may not know, but Wonderbound, the dance company does not use social media. They stopped a few years ago and, uh-huh. um, and they, they haven't looked back and they're still able to sell out. So there are multitudes of ways to reach people. The key is to find the right way to reach or the right ways to reach your demographic that will be drawn and fall in love with your theater. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just a, you know, a flyer stuck on a wall at the coffee shop or something, uh, you know, and, and then all the way up to, to actually, you know, buying advertising. But uh, but that's neat that, uh, you know, one of the things that um, about Facebook, everybody loves to hate on Facebook, but that's how the theater community uh, really kind of communicates. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure in other places, but definitely in Colorado, that's where kind of the, the meeting ground is for, for a lot of theaters. Facebook so it's and like, Instagram, it's, for sure. I still don't understand Instagram. <laughs> Maybe I'm just... I'm just <laughs> I actually, I don't, I don't want to understand Instagram. I got too much else going on. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, well, uh, Betty, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's great to have you and and with your wealth of knowledge. And uh, we'll definitely have you back if, if you'll, uh, if you would be willing. 
to uh, to guest host again. I'd be happy to. Thank you for having me, Alex. All right. Well, uh, when we come back, Tony Tresca's interview with Micah Eastman, uh, director, performer, playwright, and VP of Vintage Theater's Board of Directors. We'll be right back. podcast. I'm Tony Tresca, and joining me today for an exclusive interview is Makai Eastman, who is a Colorado performer, director, playwright, and board member over at Vintage Theater. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I really enjoyed getting to meet you over at uh, Duke Ellington's Sophisticated Ladies. Well, magnificent performance over at Vintage, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I definitely had one of the best times of my life being up there on the stage with those beautiful people, so I appreciate it. Yeah. What was kind of that experience like getting to work on that show? It's a big cast, 32 songs, a lot of da- song and dancing. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was quite the process, and you know, um, I, I really have to give credit to Christopher Page Sanders for, you know, curating such a powerful ensemble to come together because it was it was really quick in rehearsals. I think we had about 12 or 13 rehearsals and it was over a period of three weeks. So it was a lot of really relying on um, your you know fellow ensemble member, whether that be the vocalist or the dancers, to really just keep lifting each other up and keep the spirits, especially on the the harder and the longer days when you know I can only speak for myself when I felt like oh my goodness, can I really do this? Like you know, I don't <laughs> want to win anybody, but uh, you know I really had you know uh, my. And I don't really want to use the cliche of a second family, but they really have been over the last couple of months. And, you know, they've really been a support system and we've all learned so much from each other. We kept cutting rugs and, you know, throughout the blood, sweat and tears, literally in all three of those cases, we came up with something beautiful. That's a true celebration of, you know, the cast that we put together and Duke Ellington's music in that regard. So I'm kind of curious in hearing a little bit uh, just about your history here in Colorado and kind of what drew what draws you to theater? Sure. Um, You know, my wife and I, Sydney, shout out to Sydney for keeping me sane and, you know, on task. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to Sydney. (laughs) We moved here in August of 2021. And it was simply because, you know, we were working at uh, the Glimmer Glass Festival in New York. And I still work there remotely for most of the year. But, you know, it it came to the point where the summer contract was over and we're like, well, you know, we don't necessarily have anything else to do. You know, COVID is still um, was still very much uh, prevalent out there with the new variant like Delta and all that. And it was just like, well, you know, going to the city was our original plan in New York. And we just said, you know, what do we really want to do now? Because, you know, the theater is not completely back yet. And we just said, well, let's go someplace we haven't been before. And, you know, Colorado was kind of the the state that we threw the dart at on the map and we figured, yeah, let's just give it a shot. You know, we've never been, it's a new experience and let's just go ahead and do it. So, um, I'm curious what, uh, before moving here, what was your like exposure to the Colorado and specifically like Denver theater scene? Before I moved here, nothing at all. No, I mean, 
I had a friend who lived out here and, um, you know, I, I'm going to hopefully use her as a lighting designer, Hannah Grunison, for as much as I possibly can. But, you know, she works in architectural lighting. So, <laughs> you know, it was just she hadn't really been into theater here as much as she did back east. So, you know, that was pretty much the only connection we had. But, yeah, before I moved here, I just, you know, reached out to a few people, made some, you know, really good connections that I still continue to be friendships to this day and we just took a chance how's it been working out so far it sounds like you've been able to get connected with quite a few theaters already absolutely you know um primarily i started with uh well, I guess technically I started with uh, jumping on town halls uh, once on this island in 2020, 2022. <laughs> yeah. Starting to blend together. Yes, yeah, so it was spring 2022, and we had auditions uh, in 2021. That's exactly what it was. It was October. And, you know, I was able to, you know, it was directed by Betty Hart and I assistant directed her on that. Then I was able to get connected with Christopher Page Sanders um, for, he was the choreographer for that. But he was also directing Cinderella Vintage Theater. And he said, oh, well, you know, if you have nothing else to do for the fall, you know, I would love to have you assist me on Cinderella. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I would love to do that. So that's very much how... I got my foot in the door with vintage and you know anybody who knows anything about vintage is that vintage is quite literally just a large family of uh <laughs> designers etc you know they really uh, uh keep a good strong circle so uh, walking into cinderella with that big of a cast i was able to meet a lot of people and you know work with really uh great people that i still work with to this day and you know i was able to Meet Bernie Cardell, who uh, very much was uh, an important, well, still is an important part of my career here. And, you know, he, I assisted him on Fireflies, the next show. We got to know each other a lot better then. And I really felt connected to Vintage in the real statement that they continue to carry out in terms of fostering uh, a lot of early career and, you know, uh, veterans on, mm-hmm. on stage too. And, you know, there, there's a reason why people keep coming back. And I felt very uh, proud to be a part of that. And I joined the board because I wanted to keep making these positive strides that Vintage has been doing over the last couple of years. And it's just been onward and upward from there. And I ended up directing Dot, and now I'm in Sophisticated Ladies. So for some of our listeners who maybe don't know as much about nonprofit organizing, would you mind talking a little bit about what the someone on the board of directors for a theater company does? Like, what do you do in your position over at Vintage? Sure. So it really depends on the exact position and the exact committees that you're a part of as to how your role on the board functions. Personally, I'm the vice president of the board, uh, recently elected for this term, and I am also the chair of the EDI committee as well. So that uh, my duties usually uh, revolve around being very people centric in terms of retention and um I guess if you want to say private relations in that regard, because <laughs> not so much of the patrons in the audience, but definitely I have a strong ear on the ground when it comes to the employees and the contracted people and things like that, making sure that everybody feels 
welcome and has uh, a true equitable environment that they can call home. So that's really been uh, the forefront of my duties. But overall, for a board on a nonprofit theater, it's really about carrying out the mission statement and making sure that the organization runs smoothly from the top down in order to make the day-to-day operations happen without a hitch so that the general thematic elements of what the theater is supposed to be doing or I guess what the nonprofit is uh, keeps going strong and just really the heart and soul of the organization. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in hearing a little bit about what your experience was like coming in as a board member in the middle of like a period of economic turmoil or in the middle of coming out of a pandemic, uh, social change. So I'm kind of curious, what's it like trying to navigate all of those various concerns? Uh, Thoroughly enough, it's a lot of rebuilding and I say that from a sense of not that anything was necessary destroyed or the tatters, but you know, it's a matter of COVID did really throw a wrench in everybody's plans. And you know, how to navigate theater moving forward was always the biggest question. And honestly, even sometimes when people were like, well, is theater really going to be the way that we um had it before? And you know, good good intentions come from the yes and no answer from that, right? Because uh <laughs> It was definitely a time to reflect and say, how can the art form move forward and not just be uh, pigeonheld and fall back to the less than desirable practices that really seem to precede 2020 and everything. And marrying mm-hmm. that, also keeping the the joy of, you know, at least in, uh, talking for Vintage's perspective, you know, coming to coming to the show an hour beforehand, you know, seeing your friends at the bar, the famous Vintage Bargain, your martini, and, you know, just <laughs> uh, having a good time before and, you know, also doing it safely during the show and really getting a chance to have the community experience. And then afterwards, of course, uh, having the special experience of getting to meet the cast and crew and get to talk to them after that in the lobby and just have a good time overall while doing some great work and that was really the forefront of our uh, our minds especially this year as you know things started to get relaxed in the pandemic landscape and you know thankfully on all different types of wood that no new variants have popped up in as frequently as they have been the last couple of years so you know just moving forward and being flexible and adaptable to the changing landscape. Absolutely. So I I saw on your website that you have a passion for shining a light on new work. And I'm kind of curious where that passion comes from. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm also a playwright um, and I noticed as I was figuring out my journey as an artist, that the barriers, especially in theater, of getting new work out there is seem to be a lot higher for people who unfortunately live on the margins of society. And, you know, it's not even so much of... 
nepotism is not the right word, but it's mm -hmm. connections and who you know, right? Because a lot of theaters have a rule, which I get in terms of volume of submissions, but a lot of theaters have a rule of we don't accept uh, unrepresented or unsolicited, you know, submissions for work and or even even to be remotely considered. And okay. and I get that from a certain point of view. If you don't want just you know, 40,000 people sending a bunch of emails and you're like, I can't even remote you up with this. But you know, at the same time, as a black writer, I'm like, OK, well, you know, I wasn't ever taught to uh, what are the steps to learn to make connections to find an agent or, you know, how to get published or things like that. And frankly, if you ask me that right now, I still won't have an answer for you. But um you know, I, I do appreciate that a lot of local community theaters uh, definitely take a step forward to say, OK, well, you know, we have New Works festivals, you know, we have uh, we have a, a an open process for submissions and things like that. And, you know, that's really what got me going, because, you know, there are a lot of voices that need to be heard in the contemporary landscape that don't ultimately get that because of one reason or another, just not coming from a place of privilege. And I say theater specifically because theater is prone to reviving or, you know, uh, licensing lots of established works and everything, which is ultimately the safe route. And again, nothing wrong with that. You run your business the way you run, want the way you run run your business. But, you know, uh, I think of film and how, you know, filmmakers in studios, like, yes, there are remakes and reboots, but, you know, ultimately it's up to the individual artists and that level of trust that's given to these creatives is not necessarily the same as it is on uh, live performance because, you know, film usually have the writer and the director or it's a lot, oftentimes they're the same person and they create the vision with the backing of these production companies and organizations. And I think theater would be it would be in a good place to think like that a little bit more, especially when it comes to audience retention and getting new people in seats, because there are people who have never been to theater because they're like, I don't want to see, you know, Sound of Music for the 20th time in my life. Right. And they yeah. go to the movies or something like that. So I just want to get us to that place. And, you know, um, I'm working with Vintage specifically on the you know new play committee and things like that to, in order to give more especially underrepresented writers, a voice in this art form that can be notoriously gatekept. Can you talk a little bit more about that new play committee over at Vintage, how folks can get uh, information about that and some of the other like uh, new work initiatives that are going on at Vintage? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have some stuff in the works that isn't necessarily confirmed yet, but I'm hoping that next season comes around, we'll be able to share exactly what's going on. But the established thing that we have is our new play festival every summer. And uh, we accept writers from all around the country, you know, from not even just Colorado. And there, the way the festival is set up is that, you know, the writers submit uh, their 
I, I believe it's a at first it's a sample, and then they get invited for um, the full length after that. And the new play committee is composed of readers from outside the board as well as the board itself. And this this should be opening up in the next couple of months because the festival is usually in July, and at that point, you know, there are five works selected for staged readings at Vintage uh, during our off season. And and we have, you know, a general invited general audience. Anybody can come and they vote on the play that they would like to see produced as part of next season. And that's ultimately the not the prize, but that's the that's the finish line for that. So, you know, again, yeah. any from any place as long as it fits a particular genre of the festival i believe last year was comedy yeah i think it was just general comedy and then you know uh we got a couple of genres floating around right now you know i even heard some rumblings of like uh, sci-fi or you know Ooh. something like that so not confirmed yet but those are just some things that i've been throwing around but yeah this is keeping uh, writers from all across the country on the loop to be able to perform these uh, new works. And I believe last season the show was Crosswords that uh, was the winner of the New Play Festival. Yeah. Yeah. And then that one was done the done later at Vintage, wasn't it? Yeah, it was or... full. I believe it was August of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners, be on the lookout for more information about the 2023 New Play Festival going on at Vintage and information about what that genre is going to be. Theater.org. That's where you find all that info. Check it out there. So speaking of new work, you just got done wrapping a new work yourself also over at Vintage. A lot of new work going on at Vintage. Very exciting. The play was Lovejoy. Could you talk a little bit about your experience on that? Sure, yes. Um, Lovejoy was quite the process for me because I actually finished Lovejoy as part of my master's thesis for my um, program at the University of Tampa. And uh, there we were able to do it in terms of taking my uh, thesis being based on narrative persuasion theory by Dr. Melanie Green in terms of how to connect the audience to the narrative of the story in order to grow retention and as well as introduce new people to the theater. Um, this play was very much a product of how to bridge the gap between theater and film and taking the creative the cinema elements that come into, you know, making a movie and how to put that on stage. So there's actually a proof of concept um, film of it on YouTube. It's just Lovejoy by Makai Eastman if you didn't get a chance to see the reading. But um, that's essentially that. And I came about Lovejoy because it was it was a necessary means of expressing, you know, how to break inherited generational trauma in a family, but particularly a black family from this lens, because there are a lot of things that don't get talked about in families because family is family, right? And uh, I wanted to take that from a little bit of a critical lens in terms of why family dynamics can be the way they are in that it's, there's always, 
you know, three sides to every story, you know, your side, her side, their side, and the truth. So um, particularly Lovejoy follows the story of Hannah Lovejoy. And, you know, she is a young adult in college and it's a therapy session. The whole play is a therapy session. And it's a half memory play in that regard because as she's talking about these specific instances with her family and her relationship with her mother and her father and her sister, you know, they take these little flashbacks and these little vignettes that are performed by the actors in order to do that. And they're performed in a scene and then the next uh, bridging of the therapy session is her talking with the therapist and unpacking, you know, what has happened, how can she view this from a healthy lens and what can we do to move forward in order to improve our own mental health. Yeah, it was a great reading. And so for folks who did not get a chance to check out that limited run over advantage of the of this play, they can check the video out on YouTube. And I'm kind of interested, what are your kind of future ambitions for this play? Is there a chance that local audiences could see it again? I would surely hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, I would love to shop it around and, you know, see what kind of bites we can get from different companies. But, you know, I would love to be able to put this on a, on its feet in a live setting. And I guess at this point, we'll just see what happens. All right. Theater, theater owners, you, you heard him. You can reach out. Yeah. His information is available on his website and get that play first for your theater company. So as you're wrapping up over at Vintage right now, you're about to move over to the DCPA to assistant direct the color purple. How'd you get connected over there? Sure. You know, I, funnily enough, I ended up uh, growing a relationship with DCPA over the last couple of years uh, in terms of, you know, just being around and getting to speak with the artistic director, Chris Coleman, and meet with him and, you know, just sort of really get a good foundation as to, you know, where my career trajectory could go in terms of working with the theater and everything. And, you know, I emailed him. I was like, you know, I'm really interested in assistant directing as well, especially on the season. So, you know, is there any spots that we can consider and then he said yeah you know we have uh, an opening for the color purple and i said okay sure that'd be great i would love to talk about that and yeah yeah so i i met with him and you know we talked a little bit more about logistics and everything and then i was able to get connected with director timothy douglas and uh, you know, we had a really good conversation in terms of uh, where he saw the process and where I could fit into it. And it just happened to work out that, you know, we were on the same page about that. And I'm very excited to get started. It's been a lot of reading. So, yeah, we've <laughs> uh, seen the book and the script. But yeah. Did you have uh, any familiarity with the with the piece before you signed oh, sure. on? Yes, uh, The Color Purple is a very important story in the Black community, but also, you know, uh, it seems like everybody's seen the movie at one point or another in their lives. So, you know, my grandmother would always play the movie while we were over there for the summers. And, you know, we just, I mean, I loved it. I grew a strong connection with it. And once I saw that, you know, the opportunity to work on it in a live capacity was there, I couldn't help but just run and as fast as I could jump on it. 
And so what are you most looking forward to about getting into the rehearsal process for that? Have you started yet? Or? Uh, we start February 28th, so that would technically be today. So, but uh, <laughs> uh, we, yeah, I, what I'm most excited for is, you know, really just getting into the proverbial meat and potatoes of such a complex story and then being able to still find the joy and meaning in doing an art form that can look at life through a critical lens and you know ultimately the color purple is a story of ups and downs to say the very reductionist least of that but you know it it's still it's still a joyful piece at the end of the day. I mean, these the seeing these letters to God are tragic, but there's still hope in there. And I think finding that hope is going to be a little bit of a microcosm in terms of finding the hope in everyday life for any situation. And I'm very much looking forward to taking the audience on that journey. And to kind of stick on that theme of hope for a second, I'd kind of like to turn the vision to the future and say, kind of ask you, what are some of your hopes for the Denver theater community as it rebuilds after the pandemic? And what do you hope doesn't get ignored? What I hope to come from the Denver theater community in the near future is just to not be resistant to evolution. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it is so easy to fall back to, you know, what is safe, what is comfortable. And that's in terms of programming, in terms of, you know, audience engagement, et cetera, education. But you'd be surprised what happens when you let the when you let the new voices come in. Right. You'd be surprised mm -hmm. what happens when you listen to all sides of the story and take an active step in amplifying those who have been silenced for so long. And it's not even so much of just making yourself feel better, but it's also making the communities and the people that we serve in the Denver metro area or even just Colorado in general. They're like people just want to be seen and heard and understood. And I think theater is the oldest tool of being able to do that for humanity. And the more doors that we open for the more people, it's just uh, it's just a correlating relationship for, you know, success from not even just a monetary standpoint, but also from a human standpoint. And you'd be surprised how far we can get in society when people are just heard and understood. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for making the time to speak with me today. Folks can check out your work at the Color Purple, uh, at the DCPA a little bit later this year, and you'll be over at Vintage as a board member so folks can reach out to you. If they have any questions about the ongoings of Vintage, do you have any, any other shout outs or things to plug on the way out? Sure. Um... Uh, I am also working on Memphis at Town Hall Arts Center. I'll be co-directing and choreographing that with Billy McBride. So we open May 19th. <laughs> uh, you are a busy guy. <laughs> and that runs until sometime in June. Town Hall Arts Center is where you will find all that information.
So Vintage, DCPA, Town Hall Art Center, between those three websites, you can find Makai's schedule for the next couple of months. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your time and have a great day. And for all of our listeners at home, thank you so much for listening in. This has been the Onstage Colorado Theater Podcast. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Onstage Colorado Podcast. Big thanks to Betty Hart for guest hosting. She was great to have on. Uh, And also Tony for his interview with Micah Eastman. And we'll be back next week uh, with the latest theater happenings and another interview with someone from the Colorado theater community. Be sure to subscribe to the Onstage Colorado Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our statewide calendar and all of our reviews at onstagecolorado.com. We'll see you.